0: That had the
1: passion and fury of an Aldrich scene.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bolesby and Melissa Kirscher.
2: Listeners, this is Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. You sound so excited. Okay, we're going to try that again. Yeah. Woohoo! Hey, listeners! It's Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome! <laughs> and this is like Stockholm Syndrome because we're still talking to Noel! Oh, my God! We've been talking to him forever, and now it's like four episodes of Noel just... He doesn't stop talking, and but, we're but we're still here. But we're so but interested. Still it's still so exciting that we can't help but keep talking. It's not all his fault. I will point that out. It's yeah. not all his fault. Yes, he's talking, but so are we. To be so fair, we're contributing. also subjects
1: with a lot to talk about. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes,
2: but I think we're all contributing to the problem. So hi. This week again, more John Carpenter because we didn't yes. finish up last week. So I'm Wendy. That's Melissa, and this is again. No, and we're gonna keep going and like fasten your seatbelts and grab something to drink and get a snack because this is never ending, people. This is John Carpenter the second. What's after the fog, though? Escape from New York. Escape from ah! New York. <laughs> Ah yeah, which
1: I just watched today again.
2: Oh Oh, yeah, Kurt Russell, baby. In all of the dystopian futures, this may be my one of my absolute favorites. I just love the idea of New York. Fuck it, put a wall around
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. I I, Isaac Hayes is the Duke.
2: Yes, just it's too much of a problem. We don't even. All the good people. Seriously, gentrification. Put a wall around it. We're leaving. No, 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 no. You fuckers stay there.
1: Not not to back reference to our Aldrich episode, but Ernest Borgnine running around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's the connective thread of the night.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh Ernest. Adrian yeah, Barbeau so... again. And, uh-huh. Yeah. It, it, there's so much to love about Escape from New York. It,
2: I love Snake and... Pliskin. I love yes. that this is a man. <laughs> Who really does have zero fucks to give. He's just yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah this is a man who unironically wears an eye patch and Zubas. He's
2: he's, he's behold yeah. the field where I grow my fucks. <laughs> Lo how it is barren. Yes. That is Snake Plisska right there. Yeah. I would like to point out to you the field where I grow my fucks. It's and like, yeah. secondarily, I'd like to point out there are no fucks growing because I have nothing to The way I get give. him
1: to do this is by putting a bomb in his neck. And that's literally yeah. the only way he'll do this.
2: I don't give a fuck about your president. Yeah. I don't no really... Presents. I don't Got even no really presents. give a fuck about me except for the part where you're going to kill me. And that's the problem with Escape from L.A. <laughs> oh. there, there's, well, there are more than See, one See, now, one Escape problem. from
1: L.A., I'll be honest, we're at the point in the podcast where this is where I'm at, so... I haven't seen a lot of these post ones for a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Escape from L.A., though, I will say, though, I will give it the credit for that's what brought me to Carpenter's attention in the first place because my dad wanted to take me to see that in theaters. So he showed me the original. He showed me Assault in Precinct 13 for the first time. That's mm-hmm. when I started, like, digging into Carpenter, Halloween. And then land. you
2: followed it up by being drugged to Escape from L.A. I am so, Which, so again, I
1: Yeah, I remember not particularly caring about it that much. But, again, I haven't seen it since 1997. We'll we'll come back to it. Yes. What's yeah. after Escape? From... The thing.
2: Ah, this the best movie yeah, ever. Nineteen eighty two, The Thing. Oh my God, it was mind
0: blowing. Which is, which is in know. my top ten.
2: Yeah. Personal Ditto. top ten. It's in my pe- and yeah. And I do not make top tens. I don't talk about movies that are my favorite, but this is a movie that I'm always like. No matter what my favorites are, this is always
1: at the See, top. See, it's infected the way you do things and has created its own life form. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: there is so much to love. I love how Rob Bottin's
1: designs. I oh, love how God. he starts
2: the movie the way he ends the movie. My husband pointed this out, where he's playing chess on the computer and he loses and he pours his drink on the computer. He's like, fuck
1: you. Well, he's like...
2: And that's how he ends the whole thing. Fuck you, I don't even care about me. I don't care that I'm going to destroy everything around me. Fuck you. <laughs> I, and he's and it doesn't even matter whether he's the thing Snake or whether the other the guys snow. is the thing. <laughs> it doesn't even matter because he doesn't even care. He's like, fuck you.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> fuck you. I can't even handle this. The scene where they're doing the blood test and the bench, that... When I was younger, it was the scene where the head fell off and you saw him lean around the body. It wasn't You've him, it was, it was the other guy. It was the other guy. You gotta we'll be, be fucking kidding me. kidding me. That was the scene I loved. When I got a thing, little bit older, like five years older, it was the blood test and yeah. the whole. I gotta say, untie
1: me, you asshole. I gotta say, the best thing though, listening to that you gotta be fucking kidding me thing with the audio commentary with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell who have been throwing back beers during the commentary Mm -hmm. how they pause for it and then just laugh their asses (laughs) off oh yeah (laughs)
0: yeah Anytime you see a DVD with a commentary by John Carpenter and Kurt
1: They're Russell, basically you listen throw to throw that, back a couple of years oh, and just oh my yeah.
2: god, those, oh god, because those are just two guys sitting around going, "Hey, we had a good time on this. Let's talk about it." Yeah. Oh yeah. Not oh my god. Do you remember much.
1: this? Oh, not, and, not to veer off too much, but my yeah. favorite commentary moment from them is John Carpenter saying, "Kurt, my favorite film that you were ever in was Captain Ron, and I'm so <laughs> pissed off that I passed on directing it." We could have had John Carpenter directing Captain Ron starring Kurt Russell. And, and then they just start talking about Captain Ron.
0: Yeah. I know. Or, or, you know, the the commentary on Big Trouble in Little China, where they, they just... They, they're talking about the movie, and then they... And then they kinda, just start watching and laughing they, they at it. Just, well, they start watching yeah. and laughing at it, and then they start talking about their kids in Little League. Yeah. And they just... Like, 15 minutes, they're talking... It's about like, completely unrelated
2: it's shit. Like,
1: it's like two buddies throwing back beers, catching up, forgetting that they were supposed to talk about a <laughs> film. Yeah, not. and but then you after... you don't care because they're so awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, and they're after... so delightfully... And it's such a peek <laughs> into their lives into a friendship. And then and you can see that they're friends and that these are two guys who really had fun working together. And that's together. the
1: problem with them that we only making five movies together is we've only gotten four of those commentary tracks. We need more collaboration yeah. so we get more commentary tracks. Yeah. They never did one for Elvis. I want the Elvis commentary tracks oh can, good god yes oh my god uh, it would, yeah it would be a two-part john carpenter kurt russell commentary
2: because that was a
1: mini-series. <laughs> oh but the
2: thing yeah. and what i love the about thing. the thing is the practical effects so i remember oh, so seeing a making of on on network tv mm-hmm. yeah. of the thing where they talked about because i remember seeing the movie and i was slowly growing into a love of horror films because i had a fucked up asshole father who scarred me for life on horror films, on um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. See, I
1: just had a dad who showed me Apocalypse Now when I was eight, and I haven't rewatched it since because...
2: Anyway. <laughs> it's a good movie. So uh, my mom was slowly breaking me into horror films and this was one of the early mm-hmm. ones and I remember so clearly the first time I saw the scene where they're doing the defrib scene yeah. and the chest <laughs> opens up and smack! And I was just like, Guy with the arm. what the hell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And then watching them making up where they're like okay, this is this is a thing. It can be Anything yeah. it can be, and you know what we could do. Yeah, you know, you know what we could do, and they're just fucking around. I'm yeah. like, and watching that making of, oddly enough, was another step along my ability to watch a horror film and enjoy it without mm-hmm. being terrified. Same
1: here. I didn't really get into horror until I started understanding how movies were made, because then it didn't scare me as much anymore. Yeah, and then I became fascinated about how you could do things that get reactions out of people.
2: Yeah, and that the fact that so these I guys were it. just playing. They were playing, and right. they were like, you know it would be kind of fun and gross and awesome? What if we just ate his hands? Yeah. That would what, be fun. What if we just
1: had the guy's head just split open and a tongue shoots out, you know? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, why not? What if his head just sort of fell off sprouted legs and started crawling off and the other guys were like, are you shitting me? I totally saw that. What if
1: a guy just shows his hand in someone's face? <laughs> And <laughs> just like absorbs See, and it. that's the other thing is I I used to doodle a lot in my notebooks as a kid, but my figures would always be kind of lopsided. And the thing was revelatory to me of like, oh, I could just draw half of a person. The other half is just like splitting into a monstrous maw and <laughs> spider legs are coming out and stuff. And
2: Well, of course yeah. that's what you could do. How,
1: how did so you So like that? All of my high school notebooks are just full of like things.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. The I thing... got sent to
1: the counselor's office because of how disturbing they were.
2: Anybody listening to this podcast has totally seen the thing. Yeah. So we're just going to move on.
0: Okay. <laughs> so then we have Christine.
1: Christine. Oh yeah. I really like Christine. So do I. It, it's, it, it's it's interesting like... how it splits people for some yeah. reason, but it's I, I think I'm not a fan,
2: but I have to admit that I haven't I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. I I think it's an excellent
0: adaptation of the source material. Really.
1: Do you need to pause for you to stop?
2: I have hiccups. <laughs> Anyway, Christine.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's just so beautifully shot. Oh, and, it, and it is yeah. a pretty
2: decent adaptation of the source material. The problem being, as a fan of Stephen King's books, which uh-huh. I am, I've read a lot of them. So have I. They don't actually translate. 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 The not which is what <laughs> uh, I do all my own whiting. Um, they don't actually translate to film all that well. You know, it's a pretty faithful adaptation, but when you watch it on film, you're kind of like. Mm. But you know what? I actually and, prefer and the hit. Stephen
1: King adaptations that strip it down because one of my problems with King is he can really run off.
2: Oh, oh God! He, oh, yes. Bloat, bloat
0: is seriously yes. his problem. Yeah, and and Christine is actually fairly trim. For
1: him, yes. Yeah. yes. Oh God! And yeah. and then that's well, th- I haven't read the book yet. I'm going to when we get to it. Mm. Well, see, I remember one of my friends really didn't like it because of how much it, it, she felt it was bloated. But I, I like it because he Carpenter strips it down to just the basics. Mm-hmm. Kids got a car, starts killing the people who've messed with his life. Right. And then that starts spilling over to him going after his own friends. Right. And just the way he shoots that car, just the lighting, just that scene where the car's rebuilding itself after it's been trashed.
0: Well, yeah, the entire book is about the love affair, the American love affair with the car and subverting that. And and Carpenter gets it.
1: Yes. Yeah,
2: Yeah. but uh, I'm going to be the person, I'm going to be the naysayer here. There are very few King adaptations that work. I don't think his work actually translates all that well because King is one of those people who can craft on the page creeping dread mm-hmm. of something very So you're in normal, my position
1: in terms of dirty dozen.
2: N- very something <laughs> that is very normal and mundane. Yeah. You can be mm-hmm. terrified of a car in a king book. You can be terrified of your cat mm-hmm.
1: in a king See, book. And I do think that translates to this movie because it oh, yeah, scared absolutely. the shit out of me.
2: <laughs> it it didn't work for me. Okay. Yeah, but it didn't it, work for me. But that but
0: that that scene where it, it was keith it, gordon right yeah keith yeah gordon. leaning over the car and like you have to fix yourself and the and, the, and then the j- car just starts crumpling starts back into uncrumpling. With, and uncrumpling
1: and the thing we got to talk about carpenter and is he was the one who really started pioneering the lens flare yeah and just the lens flares coming well, off are,
0: well no 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 that no, was no? that was uh cool hand luke Okay. Yeah. that That's where lens flare really started being used. Okay. So that does predate Carpenter. But, but Carpenter yeah, but it very definitely used Carpenter used, used, Carpenter no, used Though
1: it. we know from Amblin that this is the era that J.J. Abrams grew up in.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true.
1: Very true. What's after Christine? Well, actually, I, I mm-hmm. want to just add one more point, though, is talking about that. I think one of the things about Carpenter in terms of his career starting to, to descend is he lost Dean Cundey as his DP? Because mm. ah. a lot of these great films were shot by Dean Cundey, mm-hmm. who then went on went over to Spielberg, yeah, mm-hmm. and became Spielberg's DP. And
0: well, before he... he before he uh, discovered Yannis Kaminsky,
1: yeah, before yeah. Kaminsky, why did he leave Carpenter? Because he he because he was then doing like Back to the Future and Jurassic Park, and didn't want to do Prince of Darkness and They Live. Fair point, although. Yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think he went to right after he left. They it, Live is pretty great.
0: Yeah, but it's not Jurassic Park. But it's I, not
1: Jurassic Park. Basically what I mean is he became an A-list cinematographer. And yeah. Carpenter, post-Starman, did we skip over Starman? Or no, something? no, Starman's right. coming up. Post-Starman it never really was an A-list filmmaker. Yeah. And it's I think losing Cundy was losing one of the key factors in terms of the image that we think of when we think of carpenter films because all of his other films after that are still shot in the same way it's just they don't have the same depth of field the color just isn't as vibrant mm-hmm. the lens just isn't framed as perfectly i mean like and it goes up to even like Ghost of mars where it's like you look at it, it's like he's framing shots as he used to but they're still not being shot They'd in still, just the right way
2: they look cheap yeah yeah they look derivative and i think that was also his problem too
1: is once the film stock and the cameras changed yeah he lost the tool that kind of made his signature look his Well, he
0: he was very comfortable with panavision yeah and and
1: he's never been able to recapture that no
0: no well the next film is it is starman
1: Starman, which I I love.
0: Starman's yes. charming. It's so charming.
2: I mean, it's it's Jeff Bridges and Karen
0: Allen and Karen Allen, and it's it's um it's just, it happened one yeah. night with aliens,
1: and it, it's just it's a yes, really good encapsulation. It's a yeah. perfect blockbuster too of a woman and the alien her and her alien dead husband taking a road trip mm-hmm. while the government's coming after them it's it's yeah. it's the closest he ever came to doing a mainstream blockbuster it's sweet and romantic mm-hmm. in a way that oh
2: uh, not it, a whole lot of his other films no were. and again, well
0: you know uh memoirs of an invisible man kind of reached yeah, for it but never made which it.
1: which that's one of the few i haven't seen yet oh really so uh, i'm looking forward to getting to that i know william goldman worked on it too yeah but yeah, no, Starman is just it's it's a really good movie. I just don't think it's as striking as some of his other films, but no. it is still a really good movie.
2: It's not particularly new, no. but it was the most mainstream.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's the furthest he's ever come to being a mainstream director.
2: I mean, everybody saw it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because that
2: was nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty four. And Bridges was
0: phenomenal
1: in that role.
2: Didn't did he get nominated? I yes, think he, he got nominated. He
1: was not that's like the only Oscar that they were nominated for. I also yeah. want to mention before Starman, have you ever seen The Philadelphia Experiment? I have. Yeah. See, the thing is John Carpenter was signed to Philadelphia Experiment. Uh-huh. He developed the script for that and ended up parting ways with the production and then went and did Starman right afterwards. Oh. There's a lot of crossover in terms of those That two actually films.
2: makes a lot more sense now because yeah. I kind of love The Philadelphia Experiment.
0: So so now we have Oh
2: my god totally on the tangents.
0: Yeah, Big Trouble
1: in Little China.
2: Big Trouble is I the best it. thing. <laughs>
1: Which I th- I think it's not oh. one of his best films, but it is just him and it's Kurt having a blast. A studio fun. a studio just threw them a ton of money and they're like, "Oh, let's go and have fun with this."
0: Oh Chris yeah. And yeah. Kim and Control. So, it's so fun. It's
1: just pure the best unadulterated thing about fun. About that movie. Kurt Russell thinking he's the lead when he's actually the comedic sidekick.
2: Yes. I know! I know it's such a
1: brilliant subversion.
2: I know. And oh, there's so much to love about it. I one of my favorite things, having just recently what watched is it, the... it, is oddly enough, it's the neon
1: escalator.
2: <laughs> the, the way that set looks or, like yeah, a the 1980s dra- mall. The dragons
1: have little neon lights. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean the them, whole yeah. set there, I'm
1: just like I love you. I I love that you made this. It's one of those films where, again, we're just having fun. We know it's silly, but it's actually a well thought out and constructed plot, good characters. We had Mm -hmm. a discussion about Battleship earlier. It's (laughs) very much in that same vein. Oh, yeah. We know how silly this is, but isn't it amazing? They they commit to the silly. They're having fun with it. I mean, just that whole bit where they're stuck between the three warring gangs, and then suddenly these gods are dropping out of the sky, Mm -hmm. and they're just stuck in their car like, what do I do? What do I do? So he just runs the sorcerer over.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll do this thing instead. I don't even know
1: it's so good and, and that jack burton even sits out most of the fight because he does the rallying firing a gun into the sky and it drops part of the ceiling on his head and he's just unconscious mm-hmm. for most of the entire climax
2: black blood of the earth oh tar no and then
1: like talking black about blood of the, the earth. earth and then talking about all the various hells and all that stuff yeah. and then that great bit where kurt russell's in the wheelchair shooting down the stairs and like <laughs> right over the pit and he's like Nor! yes <laughs> aren't you gonna yes. kiss her Nope. (laughs) And even just driving away and the monster's just in the back of his truck for no reason. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and very early on when they do the boom with the knife on the can. Yeah. And he catches it. And it's such a setup to the ending. Right. Mm -hmm. Where this is not a guy who's capable or competent, but there are certain things he can do. Right. And, And by God... Those very few, very few things he can do are going to be key to solving this plot.
1: <laughs> I'm going to catch this thing and throw it. I also love the bit where they need to try to get into the brothel to see if the one captured girl there is there. So Jack Burton has to pretend to be a businessman looking for a prostitute. Yes. And just like climbing oh, that... it up.
2: Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you know Kurt what Russell I mean,
1: is Kurt Russell just going, with his yeah. hair
2: kind of combed to the side oh, yeah. Kurt and, and J- his blazer.
1: Yeah curt and john just had so much fun with that movie it's, it's one of those things with the thing where it's so sad that these bombed because there is yeah. s- you can see what they're doing when you give them money they are doing great big spectacular just glorious things big drum china is the last time they ever give him a lot of money for a movie mm-hmm.
2: and honestly the thing
1: has lasted yeah.
2: So long. Everybody acknowledges thing, thing it as a classic. Thing has gone on to become that
1: is one of the best. Yes,
2: yeah. and, it, and it is. Because it's so good. And oh. I think
1: that's also one of the problems with, as we're getting now into the diminish of, of John Carpenter's career, mm-hmm. is the studio just stops supporting him. Yeah. And he stops being, even even through independent measures, he's having a hard time getting money. Because his films, while they build this legacy and this following, they just don't do a big opening weekends. Yeah, and that's part of just well, what's he's next? not a filmmaker suited well, for that system.
0: Well, the next one is *Prince of Darkness*,
1: which is a movie I like parts of, and I li- I think it's a really neat movie. Yeah, but it's it's kind of him doing again. Argento, Oh, very much and so. And it's just a story that just doesn't really hold together for me. And yeah. some of the characters just aren't that interesting.
0: I remember the first time I saw it, and it, it was very striking to me in that um, I, I wasn't very aware of John Carpenter at this point in my yeah. life. But it was, I just kept watching and going, this is a really trashy movie yeah they, i mean there are so many things that are just blatant exploitation alice about cooper
1: it. killing someone with a bicycle well
0: yeah yeah it, it's ridiculous <laughs> but and yet there's also a certain angle of it that's really effective as a horror film because ultimately yeah. i walked away from that movie being kind of freaked out yeah, and I'll give it that. And yeah. I, I think There there are tremendously effective parts of that film. It's just
1: he's built up a lot that he doesn't quite know how to pay off. I I think this is it it's much more successful for me than The Fog. Yeah. In terms of there's a lot more going on, the story's actually leading you somewhere, the characters are proactive. Yeah. I love the characters of uh oh what's the name of the the actor who was in Big Trouble in Little China who plays the scientist in Prince of Darkness. Uh, it's not James Hong, it's he was oh, the bad guy in Big Trouble.
2: Yeah. Then, oh, Lohan.
1: Yeah. No. Well, the guy who the played Lohan. The guy who plays no. The the good guy. The good guy who's there with the old guy oh, who's the mentor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the grandpa
1: yeah. from Three Ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eek Fu Young. Yes. I I love him and Donald him as the scientist and Donald Pleasance as the priest. Yeah, play off each other really nice. I just think a lot of the other characters just aren't that interesting.
0: Oh yeah, like the main characters just don't have that engagement.
1: And it's but it's it's been forever since I've seen Prince of Darkness. It's like really interesting ideas, and I think this also goes back to that we didn't mention with season of the witch is Nigel Neal. The guy who yeah. wrote the Quatermass movies. Yeah. Specifically, ah. Quatermass in the Pit.
0: Yes. Which, yeah. which, which is phenomenal. Which is. Listeners, if you've not seen Quatermass in yes. the Pit, that's
1: an amazing yeah. thing. You don't even need to watch the Quatermass experiment. Quatermass, do They're fun films. But yeah. Quatermass in the Pit is one of the most influential films. John yeah. Carpenter loves it. Spielberg loves it. Chris Carter, who created X Files, just adores, tore, it. Yeah, adores that entire uh, character of Professor Quatermass. Mm-hmm. Quatermass in the Pit is. The pinnacle is like the framework that Carpenter was trying to hit with Season of the Witch and Prince of Darkness to the point where Prince of Darkness, he wrote it under the uh, pseudonym Martin Quatermass.
2: Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I did not know that.
1: See, yeah. And it should also be pointed out with uh, Prince of Darkness and They Live, he had spent like six, seven years away from writing his own movies. He was having other mm-hmm. people come in and write his movies. With Prince of Darkness and They Live, it's him coming back into the saddle, crafting his own stories. Wow. What, Vic, Victor Wong, that was the Victor name of Wong.
2: Me. So was They Live after Prince of Darkness.
1: Yes, and they yeah. were they were done part, as part of a three picture deal where both of those did so bad at the box office they just kicked them out before he could do the third picture. Oh, <laughs> I,
2: I liked know. They Live. They Prince, Live is brilliant. Prince of Darkness, I they know live. I saw and I was like, I, don't know, I was kind of uh, weird, but They Live. What year was They Live? 1980? 1990?
1: It Ninety, was, was 19, 19, it 90, 1988. 1988.
2: So I was 18. So I was old enough to get it. Yeah. Like right at the point where I was starting to be like, oh,
1: that's, oh. See, for me, They it, Live, the first, the first half of the movie I love. Because that's when mm-hmm. you just get all the great iconic stuff. You get the great yeah. setup of the story. You get the the bubblegum line. Yeah, I just came here to and then and you get the massages and, and then the fight with with David Keith. Yeah, yeah, the alley
0: fight. Yeah. Keith David.
1: And and just that just amazing alley fight. And I think my problem with the second half of the movie, with the exception of the last two minutes. Uh huh. I think it starts to lose that humor and that fun and just kind of takes itself seriously. Yeah, it just kind of loses steam a little it bit. Does. And then it comes... It but then you get that great punch yeah. and then especially that final shot. Yeah. Well, what's wrong, baby? <laughs> <laughs> what? What?
2: I don't know. It all hung together for me, but I was 18. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so every time I watch it, after that, I still remember being eighteen, where I'm like, "This
0: is great." I, lo- I love how I think it's- amazingly cynical that movie is. It's brilliantly cynical.
1: yes, yes. Consume, obey, See, but I think, obey. I think it's neat that that and Prince of Darkness are very much a kind of pair of movies, right. and they're very much the spectrum of Carpenter terms. You got the action movie, you got the horror movie. But they're both kind of still not him at his peak at either form. Right. He's still just not doing them no longer at at the best that he could because he's lost a lot of the crew that supported him and those other ones. He's lost the support of the studios. He he literally hadn't been writing for a while, so he's gotten a bit rusty. I
2: it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love They Live, but I I have always wondered what would that movie be like if Kurt Russell had been
1: the lead instead see, and of he Roddy Roddy, 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 wrote it for Roddy
2: but Roddy Roddy Piper is perfect he see, I mean, and again, he's he's really fun to watch uh, but he's see, not but actually a again, really good actor but again
1: that's my problem is that the first half of the movie fits Roddy Roddy Piper yeah. in terms of that kind of over-the-top wrestler tone and the second half loses that and wants him to be a dramatic actor in a straight right sci-fi action movie I'll which is
2: why I'm like okay look I love the movie but what if you had an actual actor? Okay, so back yeah. to John Carpenter. So then there's Yeah, Tr- we we have Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Which I yet. haven't seen. It, it is
0: it's kind of this weird offshoot and I find it very forgettable, which means I watched it a while ago and I don't remember much and, about it. And I know
1: it. it's a problem because Chevy Chase wanted to be wanted it to be a dramatic film. Yeah. Carpenter wanted it to be a dramatic film. The studio wanted it to be a comedy.
2: Yeah, and because so. it, it it starred Chevy Chase, yeah. so yeah. it's supposed to be a comedy, right? And, and it's and it's kind of this. Isn't it
1: Sam Neil is the bad guy.
2: Oh God, I don't even
0: remember. But yeah, uh, Chevy. Chase... It, it, it's kind of this. It's it Chevy kind Chase of winds up Invisible being this sweet yeah. romantic comedy, yeah. sort of with Daryl Hannah. Or... <sighs> I can't even. Oh, you might be right. It might be Daryl Hannah. All I remember is Chevy Chase and he's invisible. And then there's a scene in the rain. And that is literally as much as I can remember. And I remember
1: like ILM. That's
2: exactly how much I remember. And I remember
1: ILM really pulled out the stops on the effects. Yeah. It just. Yeah. Yeah. It was a compromised studio film and Carpenter was kind of starting to wind down there. Yeah. And then his next one, Body Bags, which I, again, haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen Body Bags either. I, I know some people who really like it, some people who don't. I know he only directed a couple of segments. I know Toby Hooper did one of them. Mm-hmm. And he, he and Carpenter himself gets to play the Crypt Keeper, basically. Oh, that's nice. As literally a corpse that wakes up in the morgue and starts introducing these horror stories. <laughs> and it, and it's like... a cameo palooza where he's got like Wes Craven playing a supporting role and mm-hmm. Toby Hooper's in it and like Sam Raimi's popping up. It's one of those ones where it's like, let's just have all the horror director buddies mm-hmm. show up in my movie. Aw,
2: yeah. that's kind of nice.
1: And then we have In then the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the last great Car- Carpenter the, the, movie. The oh. last of the great it's still, It still has a few bits that are a little wonky, but I don't care. Oh, I God. love it.
0: I love... In the mouth of madness, so and it's hard. also
1: just such a fascinating, like, just deconstruction of like Stephen King and Lovecraft, mm-hmm. and this weird pastiche while also examining, you know, the fame of the horror author. And- mm-hmm. Okay, I'm
2: going to give a shout out to Junk Food Cinema. No. Yeah, they that did. did a great episode on In the Mouth of Madness during their Halloween month right yeah. was that yeah when they it, was,
0: it was very recently it was very recently well was... well to us to you it's probably not as recent anyway it was I in october
2: love... you should go back and you should find it they I would love to listen to that will there be a link in the show notes yes there yes will there be. will Ooh. be um junk food cinema has a different format in that they focus on one film for an entire podcast we are far too adhd for that um but they do a really good deconstruction of it which as somebody who loves the film, I also love the film. I really appreciated how much depth they pulled out oh, of yeah. all the different layers of storytelling that are going on there. And we could spend, you know, a half hour talking about In the Mouth of Madness because right. it's
1: great. It's, it's a film full or you could just that you can just peel back.
2: Just yeah. go listen to their podcast because they've yeah. already done it. Yeah. And it's super late and I'm getting tired. So we're going to roll on. Roll yeah, on. Yeah, Go yeah, watch I, In the Mouth of Madness. Go listen to their podcast. Done. Yeah, yeah, And and to... Of junk food cinema
0: episodes, that's one of their better episodes. They're, all their episodes are great. This one's especially great.
2: Yeah, that so. one is particularly
1: on point. Yeah. So then there was The Village of the Damned remake. Uh, uh, <laughs> which... That was... Fuck that movie. There's a lot of... Fucking... Drunk, fucking there's there's fucking. some stories behind that, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I... That was a film he didn't want... He wanted to make Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, interesting. He was all set to do a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Rick Baker was going to cut... Had built a new suit. Nice. I have the screenplay for it. It's fantastic. Of course you do. It's it's Bill Phillips, the guy who co-wrote Christine with him. Uh, it's... It's just a wonderful script, and I would have loved to have seen this, and it's basically he even wrote a part for Kurt Russell as, like, a bitter poacher who whose buddy was killed by the creature, who's luring the scientist there to use his bait to lure <laughs> out the creature so he can steal the creature, and he's, like, killing most of the scientists, not even the creature. Wow. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's a, otherwise, it's actually a very loving adaptation of the original film, and it's... I would have loved to have seen that. And he agreed to do Village of the Damned if he could do Creature from the Black Lagoon. But it's one of those situations where then the studio changed heads. Oh. Oh. They ousted the other head. And then it's that tradition of the new head has to basically piss on all the projects of the old head. Yeah. And so Village of the Damned. So not only was he kicked off of Creature from the Black Lagoon, but then Village of the Damned was taken away from him, was recut. He didn't get mm-hmm. to supervise it. And also, Village of the Damned was shot in the same town the Fog was shot in, mm-hmm. where John Carpenter loved that town so much after the Fog that he bought a home there, and shortly after Village of the Damned, his house burned down.
2: Oh. Oh. So I think... That's just
1: sad. I think Oh,
2: I'm sorry for you, John Carpenter. See, and
1: then he... I think this also kind of explains why he starts to lose a bit of that fire in him, because he's had just a lot of shit happens all at once. And then we get Escape from L.A., where they tried to recapture the magic, and it just wasn't there.
0: Oh, no. I, uh, I mean, even Denver Hill came back for
2: that, and it's like, hmm. For me, because I, my... I watched it. Yeah. I watched it. And I was trying. I really was, because I love Snake Pliskin. and there's the scene where he's playing basketball. <laughs> And he has to, wasn't there also the scene
1: where they have to surf into the city or something?
2: No, 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 yeah, yeah, this is before that. This is before that, okay. I lost faith with the movie before that. He's playing basketball and he's been told by the mob gang boss, I will kill you unless you get three baskets. And the entire time he's playing, I'm like, okay. At some point, Snake Pliskin is just going to go, fuck you, I don't play by your rules. And he's going to kill somebody, right? Because that's who Snake Pliskin is. He's going right?
1: to pop the ball and use it to smother someone's face. Yeah,
2: something. Because fuck you, I'm Snake Pliskin. I don't play by your rules. Except that he got the third yeah. basket and turned to the guy and is like, ha ha, I won. And that was the moment where I broke faith with the movie. I'm like... That's not Snake Plissken. You know, so you know earlier,
1: what would have been funny is ear- if on his first shot that he throws, he has no depth perception, so he just can't shoot a shot. <laughs> I know, so, right? No, yeah. So he just literally just throws it off, completely off, turns to the guy and says, I got one fucking eye.
2: <laughs> that would have been
1: Snake Plissken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm amused that you
0: lasted that long into the movie because where I started losing faith was when the movie literally jumps a shark. Though well, there's in, that the opening scene. Yeah. Oh,
1: no. I don't remember. I that. Morph-
0: there, there is a horrible CGI uh, shark. Wow. Yes, and See, a I, snake Pliskin jumps it.
1: Most, underwater. Of, most of my memory is they're suddenly saying there were a whole bunch of other cities that are like that. You get um, uh, Bruce Campbell showing up as the plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot to
1: not. I, I know Steve like. Buscemi's in it, but I don't remember his what.
2: There's a lot yeah. that's there's a lot that's a mess even before I got to that point, but that was the point in the movie. I'm like. You don't even remember who this character is,
1: right? And they and they were trying to recapture that, you know, that whole line throughout the original film of "I thought you were dead." Yeah, of, I thought you were taller. It's like no, you just no, you're yeah. trying too hard to no. recapture it. And then there's vampires, which I remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. I remember really liking like the first twenty minutes. Yeah, there there
2: are That's moments. The and then there's James like, Woods yeah. as the yeah. bad guy, big, except that he's short and weasley and Jewish. Yeah. And I just couldn't buy him as a badass.
1: And then I just remember, and then it, it just like 20 minutes in, suddenly there's like a big twist. They kill everyone and then it's just going off in different direction. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm not as interested in, in this anymore. I liked it when they were this entire team just dragging vampires out into the sunlight. Mm hmm. It's like hicking him up to a toe hitch and just dragging him out. The yeah,
2: sunlight. that part was good. I remember that.
1: But then after that, it's like they just didn't have a story anymore.
2: Yeah. They had James it, Woods. And James Woods is in James Woods, movie. one
1: of the Baldwin brothers. I can't remember which one. Oh, The The, yeah. the really sad one Steven. who's been in rehab. I think it's Steven.
2: <laughs> I think it's Steven. But yeah, you're oh, right about that yeah. too. Yeah
1: and and then yeah i can't even remember who the actress was and then there was some guy who's a priest who they're like turning corrupt yeah
0: it was an interesting concept and they just it just never gelled.
1: i actually honestly prefer the sequel vampires los muertos which was written and directed by tommy lee wallace his old buddy who he brought back interesting starring bon jovi <laughs> John Bon Jovi.
0: I I, I love that you it's, watch it's, these things.
1: It's not a bad. It's not a great movie. It's just it. It's more consistent. It's at least more watchable than the first. Because the first one is just. It's literally aimless. It doesn't go anywhere. And this
2: anywhere. is how we ended up doing a John Carpenter intervention because you watch these movies and go, yeah. how is this yeah. the same guy that did these movies? And now it's like you didn't even read the script before you started shooting Vampires it.
1: Vampires was written by Don Jacoby, a guy who wrote Philadelphia Experiment.
2: It doesn't matter. No. <laughs> Did you read the script before you started shooting it? No, no, but I'm saying
1: that even, even the writer just wasn't bringing the same magic anymore.
0: And... Yeah. It just... And, and and it's followed by Ghosts of Mars, which is even more atrocious. You know, which I actually uh. don't hate Ghosts of Mars. I oh, don't the, love okay, it. okay, okay.
1: Explain yourself. I sir. don't. I actually like the fact that it's basically doing a redo of Assault and Precinct Thirteen. <laughs> I actually really like the first forty minutes or so. I really like Natasha Henstridge. I I think it's an interesting character. It's an interesting world. I think then once you get the whole monster horde, it's just not that fun anymore. Yeah. And again, it's I think the beginning of the movie, he's actually starting to bring in some of that old magic in terms of how he's shooting things, the score and everything. But then it just it it just kinda of falls apart. Yeah. But I don't I don't hate it. I didn't find it atrocious. It kept my interest at least. It did not keep mine. I got bored. I did. Yeah. I got bored. I was like I preferred it to vampires. Meh.
2: Well <laughs> Yeah yeah I, I I remember it
0: lost me at the first balloon wipe. It's like was that a fucking balloon wipe? Yeah. Did I actually see a balloon wipe used on this movie? And I'll
1: say, I actually think the Assault on Precinct 13 remake is better. Which, I I like the remake. What I love about the Assault on Precinct 13 remake, not to veer off into that too long, is that it is actually a different take on the story. and that It's not gang members, it's corrupt cops. It's literally... The full forces of a SWAT team coming down on this little abandoned police station. They're corrupt cops trying to kill the gang leader who's about to rat them out to the to the courts.
0: There, there's also a French remake of Assault from Precinct 13. Called I've heard Nest, about this, Nest of Wasps, that. which is actually quite good. It's fairly okay. faithful adaptation, but it, it's got a certain flair to it. I rather like. And that.
1: then what I also love is that the raid is basically the inverse.
0: Yes. Of like they're yeah. inside
1: trying to get out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I love the Raid canonizing that nicely. But I mean, like, the Assault on 13 remake, I think, is a perfectly good movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not the original, and it's not a great movie. Right. But it's yeah. ni- It's a nice, good, solid thriller. It's a clever spin on the concept. It's a pretty good cast. Mm-hmm. I think it's a remake worth watching. And in fact, you know, I, I think he's had a lot of luck in terms of remakes that are different from the original. They're just not good. Right. Like, The Fog, I think, actually has a better built storyline underneath it the remake and that's about all I will give it. Mm -hmm. Because it's otherwise a horrible shit movie with a shit cast and just shit effects. It's just shittily made and then Halloween is Rob Zombie.
0: Yeah, fuck that one.
1: So anyways, then there's the break that he takes, and then there's... There's
0: a long break, and then there's Masters of Horror, his two segments from Masters of Horror. Which I've only
1: seen Cigarette Burns. I haven't seen Pro-Life. I I haven't
0: seen Pro-Life. I've not seen Pro-Life either. But Cigarette Burns, I'm actually quite fond of.
2: Yeah. Yeah, actually, it
1: it is... It's it's a good little, like... It's competent. It holds together. It's... It's like a small little companion to In the Mouth of Madness, I think. Yeah, because it's very Lovecraftian.
0: And it's also The Ring, except it's with a movie instead of a videotape.
2: It's complete. It's complete and it's focused on this story. It doesn't wander off because it doesn't have any time to. Yeah. Because it's an episode. I really like Cigarette Burns. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, And it has Udo Kier.
1: It does. See, I don't. I don't think it's it's particularly fantastic. I don't think it's him doing anything he hasn't done just as well elsewhere. But it's still a good thing.
0: Well, yeah. It, yeah. it the fact that it's he. It's a had good done... reminder
1: that he can still do some good things.
0: Exactly. There there had been so much crap before that. It's like, oh, I haven't seen this John Carpenter in, in a, a really long time, and it's
2: so nice. And to see And it's got him. Norman Reedus, yeah. which
1: I'll be honest, I didn't love him in that role. But I'm just not huge on him as an actor, anyways. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just think he's a very specific actor.
2: Right. For me, at that point when I saw it, he was still the brother from *Boondock Saints* mm-hmm. instead of being from *The Walking Dead*, and so that gave him okay. a certain pass of. See, I haven't. Oh, seen... I'm such a fan of you because uh-huh. I, I haven't the Boondog seen *Boondock Saints. Saints*. Oh, the *Boondock Saints*! <gasps> that is a that is a glorious mess of a movie as <gasps> well. It is a glorious mess that really holds together on the first viewing, and then you watch it a second time because you had so much fun and you loved it, and you go, "Oh, what? <laughs> what?"
0: And yet, it's still fun, okay. and, and, you, st- in its own and way. you
2: still love it, and you just go, "You know what? Yeah. Never mind." I mean, I'm, there's, I love this. There is this.
0: supreme
1: Willem Defoe in them.
2: Oh my God, that is the best Willem yes. Defoe in them movie. It was a, a fire, fire! fire!
1: One of the things I also like about Cigarette Burns and In the Mouth of Madness is it's him kind of straying into noir.
2: In well, well defec- I mean, the,
1: the detective investigator, you know, kind of breaking into this this subculture. Well, and
2: it, I feel like that's part of the Cthulhu mythos, is, is that right. person who's investigating who gets led down the garden path towards madness. Mm-hmm, right. And gets told right at the beginning, don't go like any further, cl- you'll go mad. Well, I mean, it's,
1: it's the closest we've ever seen Carpenter stray into noir.
2: I don't know. I feel I like it's so overshadowed not. by the Cthulhu-esque-ness. Well, yeah, no,
0: it, it's be- very, it's, it, it's so more right. Lovecraft. I think it
1: starts more that and then folds into that, yeah. yeah. Though I will say the ending of In the Mouth of Madness is also a very nihilistic... Oh yeah, noir ending. Well, you know? I well, I'd say that's the madman sitting in the movie theater watching the end of the world.
0: That that's you know? all Lovecraft though.
1: I, I know. Well, I know, no, Lovecraft wouldn't have that... that characterization to it. He would he would have the world would end, everyone goes insane. He wouldn't have the guy laughing in the movie theater while he's watching it all.
2: Mm, true,
1: but then again, that that movie works on in... Lovecraft was not a character mm. guy.
2: Well, I'm mo- I am one of those people who's not read Lovecraft. I've only experienced Lovecraft through the interpretations. Robert E. Howard film. was
1: the character guy.
2: So yeah. for me, that is pure Lovecraft, not noir. Not that Lovecraft isn't noir, because there are a lot of elements that are the same.
1: No, well, I mean, the but thing they're about parallel. Even in, even in Call of Cthulhu, where you're getting this whole investigating in the backstory, it's just all about what you're uncovering. Yeah, it's not so much the story of the investigation, the people involved in it i mean you could i build, mean you could at the build horror
0: one. of red hook you get the investigation yeah and... i mean
1: you could build a great noir adaptation but but really the
0: more noir author oddly enough is poe because yeah. he has that whole strain of and he has
1: stories. the characterization he has the broken he, people he yeah. has, King
2: has, yeah. has cthulhu as lovecraftian tales too
1: yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, he started with Jerusalem's Lot, and, you know, well, where but, he's yeah. desperately yeah. trying to be Lovecraft. I actually um, like that one. Uh, but a short story. Yeah. His short
2: stories, though, where he's got Omni's Last Case. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not so much that one. That one's more pure noir. But, uh, oh, Crouch End mm-hmm. is. Very Lovecraftian, oh, yeah. um, but it's still very noir, yeah.
1: and that you know it's a police procedural. Well, I think also one of the differences is that noir is very much based on cynicism, and Lovecraft was just I'm scared of everything.
0: <laughs> oh, it's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lovecraft was a man who didn't stray far from his home.
1: <laughs> Later on, though, I mean, I, 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 Lovecraft is someone who it needs to be said was getting better when he died.
0: It's true, but he died very young. Yes, he died when he was like forty.
1: I'm getting better. No, no, seriously. No, it's true. He he was an incredibly racist, xenophobic guy, but through the connections that he was made, he was someone who, if any fan letter that was written to him, he would respond to. Yeah, and he started building these amazing correspondences all around the country, and especially the friendship with Robert E. Howard, who was a guy living in the South who went to black churches and was an incredibly progressive writer, and. You have him being exposed to these worldviews and challenged his own worldviews, and he was even starting to admit, "Look, I think I've I've come from this because he was mostly just uh, repeating a lot of what he was burned into him as a yeah. kid from his mom, and he was starting to break away from that and." even his writing was starting to reflect that even like in the mouth of madness was starting to, let's start peeling back the layers and actually looking at something from a broader picture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, we have these things that make us mad. Let's try to actually explore it a bit. Kind of like, why, why is this so scary? You know, why is this scaring me when it's just this old dead thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And
0: you meant mountains of madness, not in the mouth of madness.
1: I'm sorry. At the mountains of madness. And then he gets to the point where he's, where he's starting to move away from that. And then he dies at 42. 46. 46, uh, shortly after Robert E. Howard died. I think like just three years before.
2: Yeah. Okay, wow. We're in the, we're in the tall weeds of nerddom right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm seriously fading. I don't even know yeah. what time it is. Yeah, well, we well,
1: just have, we have one last we, movie. We have
0: one more movie.
1: And it's one I still haven't seen yet, which I, I haven't been able to bring myself to. I've yet.
2: never seen it, it so we'll just
1: reference it and move the on. Ward
0: the Ward. it came out in 2010 none of us have,
1: which i'm it. i'm saving it because i did know we'll, it I'll existed and it was again he hadn't made a film since 2000 in like nine years
0: yeah it was it was yeah, 2001 his, was his last full movie was
1: two he'd done those Masters of horrors but he, this was also like Masters of horrors in that he's just being given a script yeah. Whatever you can get. Because I know there were, like, these stories of these film projects that he was building. Yeah. And then funding would just dry up. Like, he was going to do one, the, uh, what was it, the Stanford Prison Experiment? Yeah. He was going to do a film about that. He was going to do a film, like, a biopic of the actual Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. He mm-hmm. was going to do these other, all these other projects that just... Th- the funding just always dried up. Nobody will pay f- to mi- for to let John Carpenter make his movies. So I think he's just pretty much given up by now.
0: Well, well, he's also old enough that. Honestly, you know, you know,
2: he, the last well, he's several doing movies he's now. made have been kind of.
0: Comic books are much cheaper than movies. Yeah,
1: he's doing. He has his own series, uh, Asylum, that he's been doing with Bruce Jones. He uh, he's signed off on. These new escape, uh, these new snake plus in big trouble with China's that he's actually working as the creative supervisor on. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's like he's still, but he basically is just sitting down and kind of Stan Leeing it of just, you go do the work.
2: Yeah, <laughs> which you know. might be for the best. Yeah.
1: I think yeah. I think the fires have burned burned out in Carpenter in terms of he just doesn't have that drive anymore
0: yeah whatever whatever the issue is you know i think he lost some of his key collaborators whether it's deborah hill or yeah uh,
1: and it's sad that the fog remake was supposed to be their big reunion they produced that together It was going to be your big thing and they started building the script and then she died yeah she passed away and then the studio went and took it off and ran off with it in their own direction
0: yeah oh
1: yeah oh and it's like yeah carpenter is this guy who in the 70s is just churning out stuff Mm-hmm. You know, some of it wouldn't even get made for like another 20 years, but he's just churning out stuff. And then you get to the 80s where he does some of his best work, but he also has some of his biggest failures. And he just basically loses the support structure in terms of the crew that he was working with, in terms of the studio funding and stuff. And it just... he I think that kind of hurt him. And he just didn't want to give the same effort anymore because he just didn't have the same resources to pull it off.
2: Mm-hmm. Or... I mean, he might be the argument for the whole genius is the province of the young sort of trope in that, seriously, he had ideas to burn when he was younger. He was just throwing them out left, right, and center, and yet there came a point where it was just like – and it's not like – it's not like other filmmakers where they kind of go up and they go down and they make some things that aren't that great. But then they come back and you're right. like, oh, well, that was still super or great. Like you're still Robert got
1: Aldrich, it. who we covered, had a pretty consistent career for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You and know? <laughs> I mean,
2: you look at any director who's got a fairly long career and yeah. they go up and they go down. But the ups still generally come frequently enough that you never you never yeah. stop going... Well, you know, what's wrong with you? You you never stop saying, really. I'll go see a movie by that director. Steven Spielberg, uh, James Cameron, not everything hits it out of the park, but they still at least make decent enough films that you go yeah. see them regularly. Mm-hmm. But John Carpenter, there came a point where it just seriously, he dropped into the abyss and, and the you're thing like, is, what
1: happened? It's like Carpenter, I think. Too much pot? What? I mean, yeah, it's just he lost the fire. He lost the, I mean, like, he's someone who it would be interesting to see what would happen if you would just give him, like, here's $15 million, make whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you took The Carpenter of, like, the late 80s, he would go and make Prince of Darkness and They Live, which are not his best movies, but they're still really interesting. They're they're catchy. They still built a following. If you could just have a career where just, like, every year or two, someone just throws you $15 million to do whatever you want. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a filmmaker who could do that. I don't know he could anymore.
2: If he was making They Live every five years, is is it the thing? Is it one of his best works? No. But if he was making a They Live every five years, people would keep coming. Exactly. Absolutely. Because it's still super entertaining it's still saying something there's still a lot to like there
0: it's just been so long since we've had something on the level of in the mouth of madness you know everything else has just been so
1: and that's that's the other thing about you know having done been doing the podcast series is we're up to 1981 Uh and i'm like at the point where i'm just kind of like hit by wait i've already gone through my favorite carpenter films I still have The Thing coming up yeah, and Big Trouble with China, but I think some of his best work, he kind of, we've already moved. I mean, you have Salt on Precinct 13. You have Halloween. Mm-hmm. I still argue someone's watching me is one of his best movies ever made.
2: <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is with Carpenter, there comes a point where you're like, everything else is down here from here. Exactly. Ah, uh, how far do I want to descend into madness with that He early mean?
1: and just kept trying to recapture the magic. And sometimes he got close to it. Mm-hmm but he never was able to fully recapture I mean, mm-hmm. Even having watched Escape from New York today, I don't think it holds up as well as Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, and it's him going back to that route. It's, it's again like *Fog*. It's trying to recapture Halloween. I think he gets close. I just don't think it's Halloween. Right. You know, and Carpenter is... I went into the podcast project that I'm doing excited. And it's like, <laughs> we're a third of the way through and I'm already crushed of... Oh wait, it's going downhill already. Uh, yeah, I
2: could have warned you about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I we, kind of we've knew gone him, through but... that
0: ourselves. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh my god, when we yeah. did the yeah. intervention, <laughs> there came a point of, okay, who's gonna watch this one? Is it any better? No, I don't want to watch it. Yeah, yeah.
0: A word <laughs> from the rise. Don't do John McTiernan either. Oh
2: God. <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, all right, listeners, we've been talking about John Carpenter films, and for all that we love John Carpenter, we kind of bitched about him. But still, we love John Carpenter, so you should watch John Carpenter. We bitch with love. Yes. It's nothing but love. It's nothing but wanting the best for you. So we've been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. <laughs> I've been Wendy. That's been Melissa. And we've been joined again by Noel. Noel has been around for a while now at this point.
1: I'm just saying. Seriously, this man. I've been here for five hours. This
2: man has stuck it out with us. It was worth it. That's what she said. Oh, my goodness. You you get your
0: money's worth with
2: us. So uh, thank you for listening. Join us next week when we talk about something completely different. Oh.
1: came for two episodes i stayed for four
0: it's amazing you're a workhorse man oh my god you have
2: such stamina